Welcome to the Richie Flow Nutrition Podcast. My name is Cameron Borg. On this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Mike Mew. Mike is a lecturer and the lead clinician at the London School of Facial Orthotropics. His primary interest is in the growth and development of the face, identifying the effects of changes in posture, function and muscle tone and its relationship to orthodontic problems. Mike uses the orthotropic system to reverse the underlying conditions that lead to crooked teeth, sleep apnea, snoring, and temporomandibular disorders, amongst a range of other symptoms. He is undertaking research to investigate how to improve these systems using modern technology and innovative applications. Unlike conventional orthodontics where the teeth are mechanically shifted to fit the shape of the face, Orthotropics encourages and facilitates proper facial development and posture to ensure that the teeth have enough space so to prevent malocclusion. The importance of environmental factors are clearly being ignored and could greatly assist orthodontic therapy and general health. Dr. Mu aims to change a section of modern medicine by making it evidence-based and focused on the long-term health of patients. Mike is someone who I have a great deal of respect for as he has been begging for genuine debate as to the etiology of malocclusion, crooked teeth, for many years without having anyone who opposes his ideas step up to the plate. His ideas are generally as follows. Crooked teeth essentially do not appear in human skulls until very recently. Therefore, malocclusion cannot be based in any real sense on genetics alone. Environmental factors including poor air quality, soft food, bottle feeding, allergies causing chronic mouth breathing, poor posture, and improper swallowing have led to craniofacial dystrophy, or improper growth of the face, resulting in crooked teeth and narrowed airways. By shifting these environmental inputs, proper facial development can be promoted, allowing space for the teeth to grow unimpeded. Mike, much like his father before, is a visionary who has placed his career on the line in the pursuit of truth. I'm very humbled that he took the time to speak with me. He's one of the most passionate individuals I've ever spoken to. So with all that being said, I really hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much, Mike. Um, That's okay. Yeah, um, I guess let's just get stuck into it. Um, I I really want to know where your ideas about... Um, malocclusion differ from the mainstream and and how you came to these ideas, um, you know, with your experience? Okay, so, well, the, the I mean, it's interesting when we talk about mainstream. So we're going about mainstream, it's going to be about mainstream orthodontics because I'm an orthodontist. I was a dentist clearly before that. And I trained, I've done an orthodontic program. And when you do an orthodontic program, or if you were to get the biggest, you know, so here is um, Contemporary Orthodontics by uh, William Prophet. You know, you read here and you read in um, uh, the etiology section, I think it's chapter four, about, you know, what the, it's chapter five. So here you go, here in etiology is chapter five. And it gives a fairly balanced argument it doesn't come to any conclusions, but it talks about the environment. It talks about the um, genes and it quotes quite a few papers. And of course, it quotes papers from my favorite researcher, um, um, Caraccini, Robert Caraccini. This is the most fantastic book in the world. This is one of my Bibles. It's out of print, but I've got an electronic version. Right. And it talks about the um 
the, the, but he, it talks about basically not not specifically the causes, but talks about the potential causes, and the um it gives you know it talks about the genetics and it talks about the environment, just the environmental genetic directions. Okay, now profit, which is the bible of most orthodontic programs around the planet, clearly the most influential orthodontic textbook in the world, and. Although it gives a relatively balanced argument, you turn the next page and it's as if those arguments have been forgotten and malocclusion is going to be treated as if it is caused by um, the genes. Yeah. You, know, you think about the treatments we apply for, you know, when we're treating crooked teeth, we're going to do, um, if there's too many teeth, we're either going to take teeth out or widen the arches. There's a great debate about that. And mm. clearly, there's a limit to how much you can widen arches. And so often orthodontists will say, well, we have to take teeth out in this case. And in addition to that, but that's not talking about wisdom teeth, by the way, that's often in addition to wisdom teeth. Right, right. Then the remaining teeth are made straight. If there's a big discrepancy between the, the bones of the face, like asymmetries or the bottom, this is the top teeth, bottom teeth, top teeth are too far forward, the bottom teeth are too far back, they'll break the bottom jaw, move it forwards, usually. If the bottom jaw is further forward, often well, mix. Sometimes they break the bottom jaw or they break the bottom jaw, but they reset these jaws in different positions. So although there's a very good argument made, sort of they are very... I would no, I think they're a bit biased, but they appear to be fairly fair in presenting both sides of the argument. Then that's ignored when it comes to treatment. So the mainstream orthodontic opinion is that it, it's probably genetic. Well, we're treating it as if it's genetic. And if I drill down on an orthodontist, that's what they'll ultimately believe. If I drill down, I, I, I take an orthodontist. Well, very rarely do I ever, ever got the chance for any meaningful conversation with any orthodontist ever please yeah. challenge me i'd love anyone to challenge me um i've got a massive youtube channel come have a debate with me any orthodontist don't don't you know don't criticize me behind closed doors criticize me to my face you know that's what science is about you yeah. know take the challenge yeah now um so the, the orthodontists inherently believe malocclusion you know they think it, there's some environmental influences like thumb sucking maybe a tongue thrust but they inherently believe it's genetic, the, the predominantly genetic, particularly the position of the bones. And of course, when you think about that, the position of the bones, well, then we go across the public opinion. So clearly, when I'm talking about mainstream, are you boxing me within the profession of mainstream or generic mainstream? Because most people, because everyone with a face has got an interest in this subject because they've got one, tend to think that the way their face grew was genetic. Mm. Okay? So, or largely genetic. And of course, you, you look like your parents. There's no way around that. Uh, but what I'm not saying, I'm not saying that the way your face should grow isn't genetic. I'm saying the way it shouldn't grow is genetic. So let's just unpack that a little yep. bit. So we talk about your face having its full genetic potential. Now, if you're in an ideal situation, your face should grow up ideally. So you've got your genes are right and your environment is right. 
then you get great facial development. And of course, you see people walking off the African Serengeti, the Australian outback, but less of it now because they're not so, don't such have quite such a, a traditional lifestyle. Um, but all the Amazon rainforest, or you know, some of these completely untouched places where they really are living a Stone Age existence. Yeah. Well, they've all got fantastic facial architecture. They really do, you know. You see that guy for the African Serengeti, you know, all 32 teeth. So including wisdom teeth in yeah. beautiful alignment, in big, wide, strong, well-cut <laughs> faces. And of course, those faces look good. Um which is also looking healthy, you know, two things. So that's kind of trying to, I'm sorry, that's the long version of where I differ from the mainstream. Now, how I came to conclusions, well, of course, my father's John Mew. Yeah. He's one of the most outspoken orthodontists on the planet. He's the guy that, you know, none of this is new. All of these bits of information, I mean, it was, it was, all of this was talked a lot more about the turn of the 1900s. So 100 years ago, because it was just obvious that, you know, we hadn't had so much crooked teeth and suddenly crooked teeth would seem to be appearing from nowhere and all these problems. And people were asking the questions, why? Of course, you had a lot of populations that weren't as developed. So it was that much easier comparison. You know, you had some societies that were already relatively well developed. You know, you'd already had, you know, electric, you know, we had got gas street lighting and the underground service. And, you know, lots of London was pretty modern. And yet you could go to lots of places in the world 100 years ago that were very undeveloped. And so this, you had this, you know, much more contrasting lifestyles um, and also it was early, you know, there wasn't that many crooked teeth even in the developed societies. And people were much more, they had a slightly different mindset, difficult to describe. But it was a lot to, it was talked about. If you go back in some of the ancient texts, people were talking about this. They were talking about tough diets. They were talking about um, breathing a little bit, not quite so much as they do now. Right. And so... But my father was one of these people who was, um, you know, he's got great vision and he was putting more things together than other people and coming up with cohesive treatments and cohesive philosophies. And he was sensitizing all this information, having his own ideas himself. And he, you know, is the father of vast swathes of different treatment processes and conceptual ideas and has influenced a lot of people, a lot of in um he has been an influence on many of the influential speakers that are influencing people today, even me. Now, see, I, I did my own reading around. I, I don't like to be um I don't like to parrot what my father says. I want to see it for myself. I mean, again, let's go back to Rob Corotini's book, you know, the wonderful title. He is he's not the most scintillating writer, <laughs> how anthropology informs the orthodontic diagnosis of malocclusions causes, you know, it's not going to be a bestseller. Yeah. But he and most anthropologists are putting this change down to, I'm um, a change in diet. So now, wind back a little bit, we were talking about being mainstream or not mainstream. If you pick up anthropology texts, most anthropologists, so what anthropologists have known for, for years and since we've had anthropology, that you go back in time, everyone's got straight teeth. Mm -hmm. 
And the more modern, so clearly anthropology is often looking at graves. That's often where they find material to look at, you know, by, by you know, because we would bury um, people when they die. That then gets forgotten about. And then with modern equipment or by accident or you're making a building or something, you find a, a grave. And then the anthropologists can look at the grave and they discern information from what they see. And it was clear and obvious to them that the more sophisticated a society was, the more malocclusion and incorrect facial growth there was. So if I were to draw a nice line, you know, it really was a line. That fact, it's more a line like that. Right, but it, it it made a nice line. It, it was clear and obvious. I mean, you you know you didn't need science to see this. Yeah, you needed um, you know, it, it was fairly obvious pattern of change that was going on. Um, of course, and there's enough case examples with with breathing and posture, and so that's how I formed my idea. Sorry, Cameron. That's okay. Um, when they were talking about diet. Did they stress more the nutritional content of the foods that they were eating, or the um, the type? No, of no, 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 no. You see, you couldn't. It was very difficult. So, the 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 nutritional content. So we've got the content and consistency. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to really struggle with understanding content from a um graves. Mm. I mean, you know, it's very recent. I mean, we saw a there was a this beautifully preserved um, house in the Fens in Cambridge that was recently found. So, what they think that the the people would live on these stilts and huts on stilts in the marshes, and there was a probably a raid or something, and one of these burnt down, and the, the stilts went so fast, the whole thing sunk into the mud and the mud preserved it very well and they were able actually to look at the last dinner someone had and work out what grains were in this dinner and you know then then you've got the odd bog man people who were sacrificed or otherwise killed in bogs now they don't know whether sacrificial people got special last dinner but you can look into their stomach and see what they had in them um but but apart from these odd rare examples it's quite difficult to understand what the constituents mm -hmm. of the diet were in the past. Yeah. So, you know, that's a bit of a black hole, but you can tell the constituency of diet because you can look at the wear on the teeth. Yeah. And that's going to be, you know, they might have had a bit of um, sand in the diet, particularly if they were a grain-based culture and yeah. they were grinding the grain to make um, flour. That's going to introduce some sand. You know, when we talk about the daily grind, the daily grind comes back from um, people grinding sandstones. And you can see a lot of the women would have wear marks on their bones from where they would sit for an hour or two a day. That was hard work, the daily mm -hmm. grind, making flour. So apart from a little bit of sand in the diet, you, you can give a good estimation of how hard people were chewing from how much wear you had on their teeth. And of course, they had a huge amount of wear on their teeth in the past, a lot of wear. Yeah. I know Weston A. Price um, stressed fat-soluble vitamins uh, in, in his work. And and since then, um, speaking to Sandra Khan, she seems to think that they are a significantly less important part as um, in when compared to the consistency of the foods 
um, you know, they, they were eating, not only were they eating nutrient dense foods, but these foods were, they required a lot of chewing uh, and they required strong jaws. Um, mm. So what, what do you think, um, you know, is there a role of these fat soluble, soluble vitamins in, in malocclusion and, and facial development? Or is it, if there is a connection, it's a tenuous one in your opinion. Well, I'd like to see some evidence, Brett. It would be great mm. to see the evidence. I mean, one of the things I looked at and I thought was interesting. So I looked at vitamin D. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now I just thought to myself, okay, let, let's do a little bit of hypothesizing here. So you're going to get more vitamin D in hotter climates, with some sunnier climates, just to per se. Even if you don't stand in the sun, you're just going to absorb more vitamin D if you're in a sunnier climate. Okay. You know, in Britain, here I am. I, I, you know, come winter months, I don't think I stand in the sunshine much mm. at all because, you know, I'm, I'm work before the sun goes up. You know, so, for example, I spent some time when I was working in Denmark. I would get to work before the sun comes up. I'd be in work before the comes up and I would leave after the sun went down. Yeah. So I basically indoors the entire time where my, my office had a small window and where I worked in the clinic was considerably back from the windows. So I could go probably the, the, the darkest four months of a year we're seeing no sunlight. Now, you then take Australia. So you've got an identically genetic po population yep. from initially from the British who were in Australia, and they've got a lot of sunshine, and they tend to have a much more outdoor culture than you do in Britain. And or they're European, so I don't know the, the, the much different from Scandinavia or not, but you don't see the difference in malocclusion. You've got roughly the same level of almost right. exactly the same levels of malocclusion in um, Europe and Australia down the line. Exactly mm -hmm. the same. I mean, slight difference now because they've got a more of an Asian um, uh, genetic base from being close right. to the Far East. So you, you're not seeing a difference and you would expect to see a difference. And then we I looked at vitamin A. And of course, most vitamin A deficiencies are in the developed world. Yeah. And that's where you have the least malocclusions. Yeah. So this is just me ballparking it. Yeah. So, you know, I'd love there to be a um, vitamin A and D would be helpful for malocclusion because I could give my patients vitamin A and D and that would make what a difference that would make. Mm. I, but when you talk to West, the, the Western A Price Foundation, they talk about this pre-term injury. As if you need make certain that you need to have enough vitamin A's and D's and possibly K in your system, the moment of conception. Mm. Now that yet yeah, you know that may be true. Yeah. However, it's one of those things that it's a little bit too precise and it's a little bit too um, I would say a bit too um, it's too easy of that to be an excuse. Mm. You know. Yeah. And, you know, we're going to reflect back and just look at the time of um, uh, where Price. OK, so Price was around at the beginning of the 1900s. He was a, a contemporary. So he was contemporary of Mellonby. So Mellonby found out it was vitamin D, Mellonby, didn't it, wasn't it? 
Uh, I can't remember. So it's been okay, a while. So anyway, I, I think it was vitamin D. So Mellon B had done you know, the rickets in children in East London. Yeah. Yeah. And he'd worked out that was vitamin D. And of course, that was the first identified, proper identified vitamin. And of course, we'd already worked out from trial and error that um, skirt of um, limes and lemons and fresh fruit prevented scurvy. You know, the famous British would stock up on limes on their boats because limes would keep for a long period of time. So, and that's why the Americans call them limeys because we had limes in the boats. And we would give those to the sailors on the boats and prevent scurvy. We didn't know why. But after Melonbury worked out vitamin D, then they said, oh, well, maybe that's what's, there's something in um, uh, limes preventing vitamin C. And then, of course, all these other vitamins were coming down. It made absolute sense to, uh, to Price that there could be a vitamin for these jaws. Yeah, right. But of course, Price, Price didn't exclude the consistency of the diet. He he never didn't look at it. So if you, if you don't look at something, you can't say it is could not be from that factor. Yeah. You just you can't say that. So um it, it, you know, I, I as I said, I, I just I'm trying to follow the science. I'm trying to work out what's really going on because that is what science is about. And I mean I had a long, long chat with Sally Fallon by email. Right. And you know, I just I, you know I, I met her at a conference, her conference. Yeah. And I had a chat with her and she's got a forceful lady. Mm. And, you know, the, I, I know there's a, there's a phrase in you should hear what other people are saying because you'll learn from that. She didn't seem to be very interested in my opinion. I think I got a couple of words in. Right. In the conversation. Yeah. And she was busy telling me, and I literally, I don't think she drew breath on that. <laughs> and I then had this email conversation. I just said, look, I, I, that afterwards, I just pondered and I thought we didn't really have a good engagement. Of course, I, 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 one of my sort of oaths, I've got a lot of oaths to myself. One of my oaths is I'm going to leave no stone unturned in my quest for the truth. Okay? So I wanted to see you know, whether there were some things. And of course, so I, I kept, in this conversation, I kept saying, Sally, well, what's the core base, you know, information upon which you're basing your information? And we kind of had a circular conversation as I broke it down, I, you know, broke her down on this. And eventually she sees someone, she sees someone else in and says, oh, so-and-so, um, oh, show him that paper on vitamin K. And I was thinking, oh, that paper, that's in the singular. Anyway, she showed me this paper, the, or the other person showed me the paper, and this is a famous paper, and I think it's in Prophet's book, where they have a, um, what was it, a bunny rabbit, I think, a bunny rabbit, yeah, rabbits. Yeah, right. And they've starved them with vitamin K, and they get stunted noses. Well, okay, two points on that. First of all, vitamin K deficiency, it's pretty difficult to do, you know? Um, you know, you, you see people with vitamin A deficiencies, you see people with vitamin D deficiencies kind of exist. But I, I, as far as I'm aware, it's really quite difficult to get a vitamin K deficiency. Whereas we're seeing malocclusion on the goddamn whole population yeah. in everyone. Remember, yeah. those guys walking up the African Serengeti often had a, a centimeter of space behind their wisdom tooth. Now we're talking about kids not only not getting wisdom teeth, that's almost endemic now. People turn around and say, oh, well, it's and we're evolving. Have you read what Darwin said? Do you understand what it says? Because mm. if you do, then you're not going to say we're evolving. 
Yeah. Right? Maybe you've got some sort of epigenetic concepts and some higher level ideas, but it's not base evolution. That, that's not how evolution works. Come on, be real. Mm. Um, so we've got this major change in most of the people, and it just seems unlikely that could be a vitamin K deficiency. It just doesn't figure in my, my head. Then, of course, what you do notice with this bunny rabbit is that the, the face is stunted in a very symmetric way. So both upper and lower jaws are equally stunted. Okay. Now right. that much that looks much more like a what of a clever growth adaption because yeah. um, you know, yes, maybe vitamin lack of vitamin K is causing a problem. I don't know, looking at those bunny rabbits, that the teeth don't all shrink in size as well. Mm. You know. So when you've got some of these generalized influences, the body's pretty good at making adjustments so that everything works out well. You know, I've often done one of my, my father's great things is a crocodile's mouth. You know, you've got a tooth that's a meter over there. Yeah. And you've got to come meter back down the, the top jaw, go around the head to the bottom jaw, then go forward another meter. So these teeth on the body are two meters from each other. How do they work out how they're going to meet? And yeah, they don't really. You know, there's no genetic programming. You've got local environmental stuff going on to decide mm. how they're going to come into contact. And that's the only way it can really work. And then, of course, you've got to get program how those jaws come to roughly the same length. Well, probably a little bit of environmental control has to go on in that. And then once you've got environmental control, you've got mechanisms for compensation yeah it's a well-designed thing human animals you know life is well they're well constructed you know this is a well-constructed concept yeah and i'm thinking and this is my my base premise is that our growth has gone quite wrong really very wrong already okay and that's um so a sweeping statement because i'm saying basically most people who are alive in a western society are really quite deformed mm. how else are we going to put it yeah. you know you know if you don't have space for your wisdom if your teeth didn't didn't come straight naturally then you've got problems with the way this grew and that could have other significant health effects you know crooked teeth is only a problem amongst quite a few problems so if, if you had to steel man the conventional argument like let's say you were arguing against yourself what what was what is the argument that you would make to bring your um your ideas down oh my the big argument is it's very hard to to, to get results right yeah, that's what the whenever i start in this engagement of saying to the orthodontists oh but you know malocclusions an environmental issue mm -hmm. um the main causes are you know the muscle effect the resting posture, then function. Um, they'll turn around and go, well, I I'd like to see you publishing your results. And I go, okay, hang around. We've done a bit of a jump here. And you've, you've purposely conflated two different things. You've conflated the um, the point that, uh, that you're a malocclusion due to environment. And you've jumped across because you didn't want to argue that. Because that's that's signed, sealed, and delivered. You know that there is no, you know, it's a steel argument already. That there's nothing wrong yeah. about that. Yeah. Then we've got the pathological process, which well, no one ever talks about this. So I I made a um I published a paper called 
um, craniofacial dystrophy. And that's trying to describe craniofacial because the subject dis incorrect trophy growth. So it's incorrect growth of the facial complex. That's basically what it means. And it's trying to map out the pathological process about what goes wrong. So they skip that because, well, we never talk about that, do we? And yet we should, because if there is an environmental influence, there has to be a pathological process by which it works. And no one's arguing, you know, here we go, profit again. Profit doesn't, doesn't, it doesn't go to the argument. He does say, and this is, I love this graph here, you see. Here he's got that graph and he's saying, um, you know, they talk about, they, they don't know the cause, only 5% of the court time, but they know the cause. Yeah. And remember where he says, um, malocclusion, known cause and normal malocclusion. Well, his normal malocclusion in this group here don't have wisdom teeth. That's not normal malocclusion in my yeah. book. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? So, you know, Homo sapiens supposed to have 32 teeth, not 28. So I just don't buy that normal occlusion. Okay. I think a lot's got malocclusion. And yeah. you only understand that a cause of 5%, most of those are thumb suckers. So, um, I mean, he gives that argument. They don't cover a path, so that you know there must be an environmental influence. And when someone doesn't know the cause and they've had DNA sequencing machines running 24-7 for two decades and they haven't still found the genetic cause, it's because they don't want to look into this environmental argument. So there's yeah. clearly a strong environmental role. It, it, that's, that's a pretty steel argument. So we should have a discussion on this pathological process. That's We're dying for that, Okay. I did enough. I did a seven, five, six year letter writing campaign in the UK trying to get a debate on the etiology. Just, you know, we need to talk about why teeth are crooked, you know, mm -hmm. to the British Orthodontic Society, to everyone. Yeah. You know, I'll give you that link if you want to put down. Then, um, so we should have the debate on the pathology. And, you know, that I, could I make that a steel debate? No, but I think I would win that on balance of probabilities. You know, if you look at what Karl Popper was saying, when you know the, the the father of scientific philosophy who lived literally up the road from here a couple of literally you know within a mile of this place he was saying that you need a best fit hypothesis and i think i could win a best fit hypothesis so my weakest argument is on the treatments that i'm doing to try and change people because it's hard to change people you know if you if you put you know the principle of my treatment is people with good facial development tend to have straight teeth. People with poor facial development tend to have crooked teeth. So what I do is I try to change people's facial development, okay? With the premise that if they have better facial form, they will have straighter teeth. I don't tend to make the teeth straight. I tend to sort of push them into a general position and expect that child to make their own teeth straight. Now, if I want to compare my results to an orthodontist, what are they going to look at? Yeah. How straight the teeth are. Teeth, yeah. Now, they're going to put braces on. They're going to get straight teeth because they yeah. put a mechanical device to make the teeth straight. Okay? Yeah. I haven't got the teeth very straight. You know, I'll, I'll be gaps, I'll be irritations, I'll be little things because I, I didn't make the teeth straight. I got the individual to make their own teeth straight. Yeah. Okay? Now, they compare and they go, I'm useless. I mean, they must think I'm absolutely incompetent. 
You know, I think the classic situation is, you know, let's say you're, you're a dentist, and this must happen to lots of referring uh, dentists around. Ne dentists, they never refer me patients, and this is why. You know, yeah. one person comes in, a girl comes in. Oh, a girl or boy, you know, remember, I'm being sexist here. A person comes in, and the dentist looks at them, and they've been treated by me. Now, what I do is I do an intense phase of treatment, and I keep them wearing an appliance that's guiding growth because growth, um, growth takes a little while to happen as it happens. Mm. So they need to wear this appliance at night, at least, all the way through the growth bed. It's, you know, orthodontists recommend a retainer for the rest of their lives. I just have, an, let's call it an active retainer, just during the growth phase. So the, the, they know they're still being treated by me. The, um, uh, the dentist looks at this person, and the teeth are pretty straight, but they're odd bits that aren't quite right. Big, wide arch, I mean, huge. I mean, every single one of my patients ends up with these huge great yeah. jaws it's a yeah. lot you know and by default i'm believing that means i've got huge airways and of course yeah. their faces are forward so i've got loads of space back here the tongue's never going to fall in the airway i believe they're never going to get sleep apnea i believe they're much much healthier faces are looking better the teeth are considerably straighter than when they started the upper six front teeth i always get them straight most you know and that's what people want that's so happy with them that's what the agreement i have with them before is yeah but of course the dentist looks at this case and he goes look they've been under treatment for seven years and they've still not got the teeth properly straight these guys must be these guys must be fools mm. they must be literally incompetent and on such a beautiful person it's crazy now that dentist hasn't been taking photographs. He can't remember that she looked like the backside of a bus when she started treatment. Do you know he, he person looks beautiful? Yeah. Okay. Next patient walks in. Perfect orthodontic result. Okay. Now she's wearing retainers. If she didn't wear the retainers. The, the result would go completely. Yes. But we know that. I mean, really, it's relapse is bad. Okay. Mm -hmm. And he, the dentist goes, now there's a proper orthodontic. The teeth fit together absolutely perfectly. Da, 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 da. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know if the, the individual really worries about the fact that she is molars are class one um, with, and that, you know, she, she, she matches angle six keys of um, malocclusion. I don't think she really cares about that. Okay? Mm. All she really wants, he, she it wants is six upper straight front teeth. However, the dentist didn't take photographs. He's not aware that she used to look quite pretty and now looks like the backside of a bus, he, she, or it. So, and, and, and that's the thing, you see, because we've got, you know, you were comparing apples and pears. Mm -hmm. And also, it's, you know, really difficult to consistently change people. And, you know, this, this is very early days. I, I clearly say to people, my treatment is terrible. Terrible. It is only, in my opinion, better than the alternatives. Mm. Okay. But if I've got a kid, you know, this is the thing I'm saying that, you know, the, the things that changes, you know, look at my videos. Um, you know, we had strong muscles and we kept our mouth closed, standing up straight. Mm -hmm. Okay. And what's happened? We've got weak muscles, soft modern food, and we're hanging our mouths up. Okay. So the faces drop down. And, um, as the face drops down, it, it, it changes shape. Oh, I've lost thread of my conversation there. Um, anyway, that, what, why I've left it, because coming back to diet, yeah, I think that um, where I think diet really does cut in here 
is in allergies. Right. Because, so I think there's two things that happen. The two major contributors to malocclusion are the muscle effect. So I, I say word effect because we're not sure if it's the amount of time you eat or the hardness of the food or what exactly you do with the jaws. But so we call it muscle effect. The second one we think is um, posture. So, you know, we, we should breathe out in our noses. Our ancestors breathe our noses. You get a blocked nose, you can't breathe. Your, your mouth drops down. Yeah. And then what starts of an obligatory necessity becomes a habit. And if you hang your mouth open and you have weak muscles, your face drops down. It lengthens. And as it lengthens, that reduces the cross-sectional area because, you know, the longer you get here, mm-hmm. the shallower you get here, and the shallower you get here, then you reduce cross-sectional area and then you've got less space for the teeth. Bam, bam, that's malocclusion. Depending on what you do in response to this insult to your health, depends what type of crookedness you get. You know, classic example, you know, if you go to the Western societies, we tend to this, and we tend to get the, the, the bottom jaw set back. So yeah. That actually what's happened from ancestry is this has happened. And um, if you go to the east, the east of the world, there's a tendency to drop the tongue in the mandible, hold the mandible forward. Uh, and that, that's, a, that's a great way of clearing your airway. Your tongue, your face is dropped back into your airway. At some point, you move the mandible forward with the tongue in it, opens your airway, happy, you can breathe. What's mm-hmm. the most important thing in your life? Anyway, so th- th- those that affects the way you respond to it. And you may do that on a familial basis, determines the type of pattern you get, the generic types of pattern is we've got this change in the environment. You know, we never saw it on our ancestors. You just don't get it in other mammals, wild mammals. You know, and we're the ones that do screaming environmental change. But I do think that nasal obstruction, that 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 is where I think diets really have come in to causing um, problems. You know, I, 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 I hands up. I was a very unconvinced um, of the diets made any difference. I could go back um, to the noughties up, up until realistically. So I had Crohn's disease and I had two ileocecal resections, one in 98 and another in about 2003. And in about 2010, 2011, I, 2011, I think, I went to the Ancestral Health Symposium in UCLA in California. And I'm now taking steroids regularly. I'm getting a lot of pain. I'm, I, I'm regularly finding problems with my health. I walk around this conference and everyone's talking about the paleo diet. This was real early days in the paleo diet. And of course, I've been sort of linked with the paleo group ever, paleo groups ever since. And I just thought to myself, well, I've got problems. I don't, you know, it looks like I'm headed towards another resection, another major surgery. I can't afford that time off work at my life, apart from the issues of surgery. Um, Everyone's talking about these diets. Well, and I'm I'm on the maximum dose of azathioprine, which is a tough old medicine. You know, it's immunosuppressant. Mm -hmm. I'm taking steroids regularly. I thought, well, Sold this for a bunch of bananas. Let's give it a go. So I started 
I made my, I, to be honest, I should have read some books, but it's not me really, is it? <laughs> so I gave it a go. I thought, what sounds paleo to me? And I um, just had more meat. Um, I cut out wheats and dairies and things like that. And it made the world a difference. Yeah. So here's me having always just thought, well, it's just food, isn't it? And, you know, I ate, uh, I was, when I was in my, when I was in my 15, 16, when that growth spurt, I used to eat, eat uh, but I was eating a loaf of bread a day. We had this fantastic bakery and I was eating a loaf of bread a day yeah. and I love breakfast cereal. I was, a, you know, I would sometimes go and buy a box of um, breakfast cereal and a big, you know, four pints of milk and just eat, just eat a lot in one go. I loved it. And I loved I had a sweet tooth. I loved sugar. Yeah. And hey ho, funny enough, I had Crohn's disease. So where we go, we we always I, I, and nothing I like more than eating my words. You know, <laughs> to be proven wrong is to learn. Exactly. Yeah. You know, my 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 phrase is, you know, to um to swivel on a decimal point. A decimal point of statistical significance. If you can show me something that's statistically significant, hey, I want to change. I want to change tomorrow. Right. You know, being dogmatic does not help you. And, you know, I'm sure there's lots of people listening to me here will go, oh, well, he's wrong about Western prices, wrong about this. You know, well, go, show me some evidence. You know, I, please, I want to be proven wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't think the vitamin A and Ds and Ks, I, I don't think they're holding the argument. You know, you mm. want to. And one thing Sally Fallon said to me, she just announced to me that, you know, they've they're managed to cure malocclusion in all of these groups. And they've got this whole society of people who have been taking vitamin A and D and K and their kids don't have malocclusion. Well, sorry, but some of these people are writing to me because their kids are requiring being recommended surgery. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. In my viewpoint, my hunch here is, if you need surgery, then you've probably had a massive breathing problem that's been present for most of your growth and development. That has probably had a massive impact on your um, cognitive development. Yeah, you know, the research is pretty bloody good on this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, David Gonzel and other people showing that you know. What do they get? Something like a seven, 10 point IQ jump in a year from treating people with sleep apnea. Yeah. You can, there's no, there's nothing, there's no, no, no method of teaching could come close to that. You know, basically what you've got is people who can't, you know, you can't sleep properly. You, it, it's so corrosive. You know, you've had a, you know, a night's, I, I didn't sleep well last night, um, really badly. And I came in this morning and I was hoping to get some work done before this video. And I tell you, I was struggling, really, really struggling to get things done. Yeah, yeah. I'm terrible if I didn't sleep very well. Well, um, let, let's talk about the sleep connection with, with facial development uh, and, and how facial development, particularly the development of a long face, like you were talking about before, how that impacts the, um, the nasal passage. Um, just speaking from a personal point of view, I had um, conventional orthodontic treatment. I had braces and I have a quite a narrow V-shaped palate now. And mm. um, my nasal my nasal passage is, I can tell it's not what it should be. Um, nasal breathing is not as easy uh, as I would like it to be. 
and it's taken quite a bit of effort for me to learn how to name yes. and breathe again. I mean, okay, I, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll see if you can send you this image of, um, of um, from a publication. It just shows the difference in the nasal airway between a um, ancestral, a pre-industrial, not even at that ancestral, just a pre-industrial and post-industrial nasal capacity. And it just, it's so stark mm. and so massively different that you're just going, those guys would never get a blocked nose. Yeah. It would just never happen. But it's kind of two places where, so the, the basis, if you've got your know, blocked noses hanging about home, you've got weak muscles, yeah. Uh, your face gets longer, I, I mentioned, a little bit like someone has a stroke. So if you had a stroke, you see how your face drops down. Remember, most strokes you see are only the facial soft, you know, um, muscles of facial expression. They're mm -hmm. not the these big, you know, big muscles. Yeah. You've seen someone who's a big muscle damaged from a road traffic accident or something. It's massively more profound. Massively. But it's a little like we've got bilateral stroke, the face is dropping down. As the face drops down, it gets longer and thinner. So you tend to get blockages up here because the whole space, you know, that nasal space gets narrower and narrower and you get blocked noses. Then also, because the face is dropping down, it's downswinging. This is a concept of craniofacial dystrophy. It's downswinging. The tongue, which is attached here, closer and closer into your airway. And at night, you, you can't breathe. Okay. Mm -hmm. So not only is the jaw getting narrower, it's getting shorter, but the whole jaw is moving down towards the airway. Yeah. So it's this three-dimensional change. Um, now, I think that, you know, it, it, we've got two things going on here. It's, it's your environment's changed, and that's largely the problem in the first place. That's why you needed to see an orthodontist. Then there's this really, really controversial thing. Does orthodontics make it worse? Well, there's a large body of professional opinion that thinks it can make it worse. Look at some of the works of Bill Hang um, and my father just saying, hello, wake up. And all they really want is conversation. And the, yeah, the, exactly. the way that conversation's been treated is suspicious. Anyway, basically, everything's set back. It's narrow. Um, now, it's tough when you're in that situation. All right? No, lead me with another question, because again, I was um, thinking too deep. Let, well, let's let's talk about the environmental inputs that that, that would go into creating um, proper facial development. What 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 are we missing? Good facial development. Yeah. So, um, so the two. So, putting in the hierarchy. I mean, there's muscle effect. Then you've got posture, how you rest the face. Then you've got function. So, um, and blocked noses um, are really affecting the posture and to some degree the function. If I went lower and I was starting to look at the next layer down of problems, you would look at things like breastfeeding and you know, other things going down there. But, and then general body posture and, you know, things like texting. But it's, you, you stick to the top one. So the top one, now, I, I, you know, chewing gum. I mean, I'll put a plug in for this. You know, my favorite gum at the moment is this one here, Stronger. Um, I don't advocate people chewing gum because in theory, it's perfect. It's a great idea. Just use the system more. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm saying that clearly I use this system more. I've got 
huge, great big muscles. Yeah. You know, here's the, the lump of chewing gum I was chewing just before this interview. And my muscles are still sort of, I can, I, I can see sort of like a post-workout burn in my muscles. And I'm doing that almost every day. Yeah. With some, you know, that's two sticks of the gum I just showed you. And it, but I can't recommend that in case someone is going to get jaw joint problem. Mm. So, hey, I can tell you, in theory, that makes a lot of sense. You know, as a good point here, we all eat processed food. Either you buy it pre-processed or you use your inbuilt processor. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Now, if you don't use your inbuilt processor, it doesn't develop as well. Mm -hmm. That's not crazy revelation. You know, if I went down the gym and started exercising and using this unit of my body, it would get bigger. And no one's going to be surprised if I said that. Yeah? I go and meet this guy with a fantastic body. I don't think he's been sitting on the sofa his entire life. I think he's got off the sofa, he's gone down the gym, hope he's not used steroids. Um, and and that, that that's that's obvious, you know. Um, you know, you can see, I can see, you know. Yeah. And I've got a big jaw. Funny enough, big jaw it can fit on my teeth and of course my tongue. So use it or lose it. I mean, if you're familiar, it's Wolf's Law down the line. Yeah. Yeah. So um using your system is massively important. Then, of course. Breathing out of your nose is going to help. I'm not, I, I again, I used to dismiss where the air went. Okay. However, I think it, there is a, um, it seemed to be so when, you know, I, my um, youngest was getting real bad block noses, snoring, making a lot of noise because I knew the importance of that. So what I did, I widened her top jaw because I widened her. And this was an intervention. So I did a, a, a four, four and a half, five years old. I widened the top jaw. That opened her airway up. Mm -hmm. And then I started a lip taping. So this is, you know, some other intervention you can do. Um, I've got here, the brands are sometimes, you know, the, the kit is sometimes useful. This is um, a slightly more expensive tape, but um, I can you can use this during the daytime. And, you know, if you're going to do some work in the office. Yeah. Mm, do that. And of course, what you do is you get used to that. And the one, the nice advantage of this tape is you can put it there <laughs> on the back of my phone. Well, next yeah. time I use my phone, I can pop it back on my lips again. Yeah. So I don't have to go to the box. I don't have to find the box, take the box out, do it, because that is going to be a, a um, gumption trap. But I, but I suggest you use the other micropore tape at night. Use that during the daytime to get used to it. Then use the other tape at night. Then work on your body posture and work on swallowing and all of these other things. There's lots you can do. And of course, this is what mewing has become. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted yeah. to ask you about resting posture. Um, this is yeah. something that Sandra Khan sort of um, stressed a lot more to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is so Sandra Khan was a big disciple of my father. Yes. Yeah. She okay. spoke very highly so, of you. Yeah. Yeah. So she, um, she, what we're, we're going here is to the tropic premise. And this is my father's concept. So I think that what the, the tropic premise was kind of his big baby. If you look at um, so much of what he thinks and what he says, it relates back to the tropic premise. So the tropic premise, so a premise is, is a concept idea and tropos is growth. So it's the idea of growth. And he says, if you have the tongue on the roof of your mouth, if you have your lips together and your teeth in or near contact. And remember, for those guys worried about holding your teeth together, if you have your tongue on the roof of the mouth, you don't clench. Yeah. 
Yeah. Not if your tongue's popular, it's not going to happen because you've got your reciprocal system working. Okay. See my video, The Cause and Cure of Clenching and Bruxing. It's a you great get video. More information on that. So the, the posture is vitally important. So I, I give a good analogy of this. I remember when I was in Brighton, I had a, um, a guy. Um, I'm just sorry, just checking time on that because we've only got we've got a time out relatively shortly. Yeah. So when I was living in Brighton, there was a an old lady who had this great big bony lump on her neck, and I'd see her around as I walked around. And then, hey, Presto, one day I'm working in the maxillofacial department. I walk in, and there she is sitting on the seat. And of course, I I, I felt this mass, and we X-rayed it, and we didn't have three dimensional imaging at the time, but it was a bony lump. And it was basically, we think it was somewhere around in the mastoid or somewhere around here in um, the mastoid, you know, the sternocleidomastoid. So it's a muscle that comes from that lump there. We think somewhere around there, she got a little cyst or something in the bone and then just no one treated it. And what a cyst is that you have, um, is it, it's skin cells, instead of that outside the body, they make they get mixed up and they get on a loop. So they make a sphere inside the body. They think they're still on the outside, so they shed skin. And as they shed skin into the middle, the skin breaks down, and that raises, this is a little bit complex, it raises the osmolarity, you know? It's kind of like the saltiness. Yep. And then that draws in fluid. And then it, because it draws in fluid, it gets a little bit bigger. But the process of it expanding is simply no more than a slight increase in fluid pressure, okay? So it's a very light, mild pressure inside a space because you've got bone on the outside. Bone continues on the outside, but it had continued out to a lump, vast, big here. That was just a little bit of pressure, a little bit of pressure over a constant period of time. And so, you know, I'm going to say that your tongue inside this housing here is a little bit like that cyst. And if you get your tongue up on the roof of the mouth, it's just going to slowly develop this whole bit of your face out. The problem is most people don't. And most people lie to themselves about how much they do that. And remember, the tongue should be sucked up and held there with suction. It shouldn't be pushing. And is, it, is that true even into adulthood? Yeah, yeah, it won't change. Yeah, so I mean, you, you look at someone having a stroke when they're 80. You can gradually change change the uh, the shape um, as you're an adult uh, if you if you keep correct oral posture. With your tongue well in theory yes i mean when i'm looking at mewing results and you know i occasionally have a voyage down that rabbit hole i don't really see people identify with being much over 25 years old now is that because the bones younger and different under 25 yes i think the bone is younger and more different under the age of 25 but i don't think it's something that inherent i think that's one element sorry yeah. Um, when I see people at 80 changing because of strokes, you, you think, well, there is a possibility of change. Now, is that change because the, the, you don't have growth hormones? You can't. Yeah, that must be part of it. But also it's probably the fact that you've become set in your ways. And you've become a creature of habits. And, you know, the structure that you were created with your old posture and function now makes your old posture and function the most comfortable posture and function. Anything else is uncomfortable. So, you know, I, I talk about um, you have um, muscle memory and you have memory from form, form memory. So the shape you have is acting as a memory of past events. It's like a very deeply scored 
channel in a record, if you wrote an old record of vinyl, and you, it scores a scratch so deep you can't get out of it. You're in you're in a, a tricky situation at the moment, uh, as I understand it. Um, you're on hold uh, with these proceedings. My life has been on hold for uh, six years with this court case. Okay? Yeah. I clearly I can't go into the court case, but it's um, what I can say. It's almost completely philosophical. It's not about um, I've done something wrong or I've messed up or something. You know, I've it really injured people. Um, it's it's a philosophical case that it's about the treatment I provide, and the argument is basically I shouldn't provide the treatment. And my annoyance with this whole case is that. I spent six years asking for a debate on why teeth are crooked. Just yeah. asking everyone. It yeah. says in this, um, you know, I, I said in profit, it says they don't know the cause. Okay. I'm saying it's, there's a strong environmental influence, and my whole treatment is based on treating that environmental influence. Yeah. And the uh, um, prosecution expert is saying it's genetic. I'm thinking, well, hang around. The General Dental Council, I asked this body if they could have it, they could repeat the debate of 1937 on why teeth are crooked. I think I think they're a government body. I think the public would want them to do that, you know? Mm. I think that's a fair shout. If they've done what they should have done, and literally that is just following the scientific process. I'm not asking for any more. Don't believe a word I say, but please let's follow the scientific process, starting with the cause. Why are teeth crooked? Okay, start there. We work up. You know? um, had they followed that process, well, then how could I be in a court hearing with the expert for the prosecution saying it's genetic? Go figure. And of course, I make comments on what I think is happening, and those comments need to be seen in context, and they've got to be seen in context of an environmental etiology. Mm. And then with that, a, a pathological, but we have to have a pathological process. And of course, yeah. I make comments based on a pathological process. And yeah. it's easy to just sit back and say, oh, well, you can't prove that. Well, you know, doesn't mean it's wrong. It means people haven't been interested in proving it because they want it to be genetic. They want the problem. So, you know, you're saying, saying unknown causes, you know, known causes only 5%. Well, I'm sorry, please can I have a debate with you about that? Mm. Well, my understanding with with genetics was genes code for proteins, and you know, it's it's to try and explain morphogenesis based uh, and form based on genes is like trying to um, tell you what a house looks like just by knowing what the the kinds of bricks that they used. It, it never really made sense that you could well, determine. It, form I think it, it's genetics. more. We're more saying that if you draw the plan of the house, mm. okay, um, it's great plan. But if you know, if you've had several earthquakes and several yeah, hurricanes, exactly. and you know, it, 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 you, you know, you could probably look at the plan and say, oh, well, maybe there's inherent weaknesses here, inherent problems here. Should an earthquake or a hurricane turn up? Yes, but each hurricane and earthquake is going to be different. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, and that's going to shape what you eventually end up with a hundred years down the line when it's been patched up numerous times. Yeah, well, it, it seems to me like you're one of the only people who is really looking into an issue that is affecting almost everyone. Um, at, at almost the... everyone on the planet. And then you look on the knock-on effects. If this is the big cause of sleep apnea, which I personally believe it is, yeah. you know, that's what's killing 
10 or 20 percent of the population a decade early. If it is, you know, you're having to hold your head forward because you're opening your airway. That's one of the major contributors to forward head posture. Yeah. It's one of the major contributors to people not looking. You know, I, I, this is a motive. It's a reason for not most people not looking as attractive as they should be. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, and it does matter too. I mean, the the literature. Well, on... Yeah, yeah, yeah. A healthy structure looks good. Yeah. We're, we're hardwired to be attracted to healthy people, and we always, you know, and the revelation I think that people are going to go through when they realise that their face hasn't grown as it should have, and that it was either there, their parents, or the negligence of medical professionals. Should that be the case? Mm. I think is going to be a real big revelation. I mean, that's why Mewing's become so popular. That's why one of the reasons you're interviewing me now, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how can people how can people support you before before we go? Okay, well, please come and join my Patreon. That would be really cool. Yeah, we've got a lot of information on Patreon. Um, you can support. So I'm, I'm not trying to promote my type of treatment. I think that would be a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got the Mewing app coming out. You can go and see that. Um, yep. My Mewing app is different from others. Mine hasn't come out yet. Comes typical. Yep. <laughs> um, but also support prevent crooked teeth because my whole thing's prevention. You know, I'm trying to put together a, a technique to treat people, but that's hard work. And it's also it's not economically viable. Really, it's hard. You know, but we should be looking at prevention because that's cheap really cheap simple you know messages like sit up straight shut your mouth eat tough food yeah so prevent crooked teeth please support that come and join our patreon and get the mewing app out when it comes out i will put links to everything um in in the show notes mike thank you so much for giving me some of your time i'm I'm really honored to have the had the chance to speak with you keep doing what you're doing thanks so much Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to support Mike and his revolutionary work, please consider subscribing to his YouTube channel called Orthotropics, becoming a Patreon member of his, keeping an eye out for the Mewing app that will be available soon, and also supporting Mike on preventcrookedteeth.com. There are countless resources on chewing, posture, bruxism, mewing, and more on Mike's YouTube channel, so I strongly recommend you go there for further information. My conversation with Sandra Khan on episode 20 is also a great adjunct to this episode if you'd like to learn a little bit more. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can subscribe on Spotify and YouTube and leave up to a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is a simple no-cost way to support my work and help me reach more listeners. Please feel free to leave comments on my YouTube channel as I really do try to read through as many as I can. I've also put links to all of my social media platforms and my website in the episode notes if you'd like updates on the podcast, information about health, or if you'd just like to reach out to me in general. Thanks again for listening, everyone. Take care.